0: Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of Ruth. Ruth is a little book in the Old Testament containing only 85 verses in total. But despite its short length, it contains not only the story of what God did in Ruth's life, but it also points to the beautiful redemption story that God is working in all of our lives. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. All right, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, would you open them to... The book of Ruth. Old Testament. We, we're starting a new series, a new book of the Bible. The book of Ruth. Lord willing, after this book, we're going to pick up in Second Corinthians. I just wanted to give a little bit of, of a break in between First and Second Corinthians because they're two separate letters, two separate times, two separate themes. And so we're going to go Old Testament this morning. The book of Ruth. And Lord willing, we'll, we'll complete this in a couple or a few weeks. As you're turning there, it's early in the Old Testament right after Judges, the book of Ruth has been called the most beautiful short story ever written. In fact, it's been said that Benjamin Franklin, who to my knowledge was not a follower of Jesus, he's more of a deist, was once in France and he was meeting with a group of godless intellectuals and they began to ridicule him about his belief in the Bible. And Franklin was convinced that they didn't really know anything about the Bible, um, that they were giving him such a hard time in believing. And so while they were talking, Benjamin Franklin pulls something out of his briefcase and he says, guys, I've come across an intriguing little known love story that I'd like to read to you. And so he pulls out a book and it was a single bound book, not the whole Bible, but it was a single bound book of Ruth. And some of the names he might have changed. I don't know if we'll ever know the the true story about this. But as he opened it up, he began to read this story to them. And as he finished the four short chapters, his intellectual listeners were astonished by its reading. And they were like, that is an incredible story. Like, you should publish that right away. Like, that needs to get out everywhere. (laughs) And Benjamin Franklin said, it has been published. It has been spread everywhere. It's in the Bible. (laughs) But the book of Ruth is a short, and yet it is a significant book. In fact, there's only 85 verses in this whole book. And yet through those 85 verses, the words Yahweh, Elohim, El Shaddai are used over 20 times in those short 85 verses. The words redeemed and redeemer and kinsman redeemer are used over 20 times. So in 85 verses, you have over 40 references to God and his plan of redemption. I love that. And that's the, the, really what this book is all about. It's about redemption. And in this first chapter that we're going to look at this morning, it's all about decisions. Okay, I want you to note that. That's, the title of the message is Decisions. It's not on the screen, but I promise you it's there somewhere. And we're going to see four key people who are going to make very important decisions. And for some, they're going to have grave consequences. F.W. Borham said this, we make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. And that is so true. We're going to see this play out here in chapter one. But before we dive into it, I want to set the stage for you. And we actually see um, it in the first line in verse 1. It says, now it came about in the days when the judges governed. That's the time frame of the book of Ruth that it took place during the time of the judges. And and the book of Judges is, is one book, or actually it's one book to your left if you just look there, um, if you don't know much about the book of Judges, it's essentially a book talking about the moral train wreck of the, of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel was in a spiritual decline. In fact, if there was a tagline, if there was some one line or one verse to, to kind of put a capstone on, on the book of Judges, it would be the very last verse in Chapter 21 in Judges, it says this, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That was the mentality of the nation of Israel during the time of the Judges. It was a very bleak time. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. The nation of Israel, God's people, were turning away from the Lord, and they were turning to darkness. They were turning to idolatry. And so this is the time that the book of Ruth begins somewhere in the time of the Judges. Israel is in a spiritual decline. And listen, this is significant because it's during this time of anarchy and rebellion that there is a beautiful story of redemption unfolding. It's during this time. And God is working right now in the midst of individual lives. And as he's writing the story of redemption, it's going to impact generation after generation after generation. Now, why do I bring that up? Why, why is the context of, and the timing so significant even today to think about? Because for you and I, we too are living in a culture, in a, in a period of time much like the judges, where everyone in our culture is doing what is right in their own eyes. In, every, in other words, everyone is just doing whatever the heck they want. And we see that on display here in 2023, do we not? Everyone's just doing what is right in their own eyes. And listen, that mentality has led our society to this place of darkness, utter darkness, spiritual decline. Our country is not the, I grew up in the, you know, the the 90s and and I feel like there was a lot more God in the country then. Now I look at it and like, this is not the same country I grew up in. And so everyone's confused because sin is rampant. Everyone's confused about marriage and about sexuality and about gender, And we live in a society because everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes that we can't even, we can't define what a woman is anymore. Maybe some of you can, I don't know, but our world cannot. It's that sad. I say it kind of tongue in cheek, like it's kind of funny because it's so stupid. (laughs) We live in a society where violence is everywhere and I could go on and on and on. And those issues and many others are just the signs that we have lost our way as a people. And we've turned from God, but in the midst of all of this confusion, in the midst of all of this sin that we see all around us, listen to this this morning. If you you miss everything but one thing, know this, that God still has a plan of redemption in store. His plan of redemption is still in place. His plan of redemption is still unfolding. And the good news for each and every one of us is that we get to play a part in it. God invites us as his church to play a part in his story of redemption. It's not just one person's job or the job of a few, but we all get to play a huge part in this. You know, I, I know, and maybe some of us can fall into this kind of line of thinking, but, you know, we, we, we look around our world today and we're, we say like, oh man, this place, like get me out of here. It looks so horrible. Like the world is just gone. America has just gone to hell in a handbasket. Maybe you've used terms like that. But this is what I want us to remember this morning. The Bible tells us in, in the book of Romans chapter five that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Yeah, yeah, amen to that. And I don't know about you, but that gives me, that verse gives me great hope. That in the midst of darkness and all of the darkness, all of the corruption, all of the sin that we are, are living in in this world that is so broken and we look at it all around us. Listen, the, the good news this morning is that God is still moving, that God is still working and he is wanting to do something in our day. Are you so grateful that God has not removed his hand on us yet? The, 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 you know, you can be skeptical, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit is being poured out in a fresh way on our nation right now. I don't know if it's coincidence or not. I don't think anything with God is coincidence that the moment that this movie is coming out about the Jesus revolution of what God did in the 1960s and 1970s in Southern California, that it's coming out next or this week, so if go see it in theaters, but that God is now pouring out his spirit in Kentucky right now, out of all places. Like, come on. Like, some of you are like, ah, I don't know, it might not be genuine. I don't care. Like, we're desperate. Like, we need the spirit of God to fall on us. I'm like, why not Portland, Lord? Please, Portland. Like I hope it moves from Kentucky to the West Coast. Like We need it. And that's where we take great comfort because it, the light shines brighter in the darkness and there's a lot of darkness around us. So that's, with that, let's dive right in. I've got a lot to cover. We're already short on time. Okay. Verse one, now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. So that, in context, the famine was most likely a result of Israel's sin and rebellion towards God. God told Israel that if they were obedient, there would always be plenty in the land. Let me read it to you in Deuteronomy chapter 11. It says, it shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give rain to your land in its season, the early and late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil, and he will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. And so you see this famine that they're in right now. It's most likely the hand of God working in in, in a disciplinary way to realign the nation of Israel's hearts back to him, to get them to surrender to him. Verse one continues, and he says, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah. Now, pause there. If you have a paper Bible, circle Bethlehem in your Bible. It means house of bread, okay? House of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. So there was a famine in the house of bread, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn, In the land of Moab, with his wife and his two sons, and the name of the man was Elimelech. Now, Elimelech means God is king. Write that down. It's very significant. His name means God is king, or my God is king. And the name of his wife, let's just keep reading on, is Naomi. Her name means pleasant or or lovely. And the names of her two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. And now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. So here we find Elimelech taking his family from Bethlehem to sojourn to Moab. And what's interesting about that is that the Lord says this in in Psalm 108.9 about Moab. He says this, Moab is my washbowl. You see, the, Mo- the Moabites were the descendants of Lot. If you remember that really bleak story in Genesis 19, Lot has that uh, incestuous relationship with his daughter, and they bore a son together, and it's just a really horrible, horribly dark chapter in the Bible. And so the Moabites were loosely related to the children of Israel, and, but there was always this hostile relationship with them. And we learn more about the hostility in Numbers 21. But the Moabites, they worshiped Chemosh, and their worship included child sacrifice and just horrible, like, just really other detestable sins. And so, in other words, uh, Moab was not friends with Israel, okay? They were hostile in a hostile relationship. And so, when the Lord says that Moab is my washbowl, he's clearly using this, this term of contempt here. The washbowl was used for washing dirty, dirty, dirty feet. And not only just dirty feet, but dirty feet of dirty, sinful people. So it's like the washbowl is just like this, the dump, if you will. It's just this nasty place, the scum of the earth, the dumpster of society. And again, according to the Lord, this wasn't a great place to be. Verse 3, and then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. And the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. And so here in the first part of this story, in just the first five verses alone, you have this man by the name of Elimelech. God is king. And he makes this decision... (laughs) to take his family from the house of bread, a.k.a. the land of the Lord, because there's a famine, right? There's a famine. And he's leading his family, and he's traveling all the way to Moab, to the pagan land of Moab, the dumpster, if you will, the washbowl. And I can't listen, I can't tell you how many times I have seen this personally played out in, in, in so many people's lives all around me. This very thing where people find themselves in the middle of hard times in life. And instead of running to the Lord, they start running from the Lord. And and maybe they're in the middle of some kind of famine in their life. Maybe it's just an emotional famine, right? Maybe they've, they've just gone through just emotional heartache. Maybe they've gone through a divorce. Maybe they've gone through just difficult times as parents. Or just maybe they've lost a job. And instead of running to the Lord, they run from the Lord. Maybe it's a physical famine. Maybe just they're going through sickness and it takes a toll on their body. And again, instead of running to God, they run from God. Or maybe it's a spiritual famine. I think I, I can personally relate to this, and maybe you and I, or you, you two as well, can relate to me that when you go through dry seasons. With the Lord, right? When you, you're like reading your Bible. and You're just like, man, I just, it's not speaking to me. Like you're, you're praying and you're trying to do all of the things, right? And you're just like, God seems distant. God seems far. And you're in this spiritual dryness, this, this spiritual famine. But how often then in those times when it's so dry, you're just like, you start running not to the Lord, you start running from the Lord. You're like, okay, God must not be there. So I'm going to start doing X, Y, and Z, And we start running towards things that'll make our flesh happy, make our our flesh feel better, right? Maybe Maybe it's a substance. I don't know. We all have those things. Maybe we're running to unhealthy relationships. Maybe it's the internet. Maybe it's something from our past that just keeps coming up and we keep running back to whatever it is. Those are the times in spiritual famines that we run to. Instead of the Lord, we run to those things. And that's what we see happening here. They run to Moab, why? For temporary reprieve. But I want you to notice verse four. It says they lived there for about 10 years. Sojourning, that was not, they're not, they weren't gonna go camp out for just you know, the, the, the rest of their life. No, 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 they were just gonna sojourn just for a little bit, right? That's what that word sojourn means. But they were there for 10 years. And listen, that is so often the way it is. So often the way it is, oh, I'm just going to, you know what? I'm not going to go to church on Sunday. I'm just going to Netflix and just, you know, just, you know, you have a late brunch and I'm just going to, just for this one week, right? Just for Sunday. Oh, I'll go back to church next Sunday, right? I'm just, I just want to check out. This week was crazy at work, right? Or I'm just going to start using the credit card a lot more. It's just you know just, just this one month, right? I'm just in a, a tight financial situation. I'm just going to start using this, right? And we make all of these excuses because we're all what we're trying to do is find temporary a temporary reprieve. But here's what happens: the days turn into weeks, and the weeks turn into months, and the months turn into years. And you look back and you're like, how did we get here? It's been ten years. And suddenly 10 years go by for Elimelech and they look and they say, how in the world are we still here? And although they have not completely forsaken the Lord, they end up floundering in a place where they knew they were never intended to be. And all this precious time goes by and it's all time that is wasted and it takes a toll on them all because they were not satisfied to be in the place that God had appointed them to be. They didn't trust that in the midst of famine that God was still going to be faithful to pull them through. They didn't trust that in the midst of a famine that God was going to show up in a miraculous way. And so they find themselves in this place. And this is what we see, Elimelech, God is king. He takes his family from the, the, the land of blessing to Moab. And then very next thing that we read is that he dies. dies. Elimelech dies. I find this really ironic because why did they go to Moab? So they wouldn't die, right? They they went to Moab to get safe, right? Like to save themselves from this famine. There was a famine, so they they went to to not die. And the first thing that we read is that he dies. You see, Moab was situated along the, the eastern border of the Dead Sea, And it had many heights and it had many valleys, right? And it was an amazing, amazing um, place, very fertile land, great for growing crops and grains and wheat and barley and all of those things, right? Very fertile land. Moab had all of the promises, right, of salvation. Moab had all of the promises of blessing and all of the promises of of just... um, a good 10 year, right? And like just retirement, peace and satisfaction and happiness and all of those things. Moab offered all of the richness that Elimelech and his family didn't have or didn't think they had. But let me ask you, at what cost? At what cost? Warren Wiersbe said this, better to starve in the will of God than to eat the enemy's bread. I heard it or read it this week. It said, someone said this, God is king always dies in Moab. God is king. That perspective, that banner over your life always dies in Moab, always dies in the world because you can't serve two masters. You want to serve your flesh, you're going to die according to the flesh. You see, if you leave the Lord's will for your life, and you start giving in to your will and you start doing what's right in your eyes, listen, death in some fashion, it might not be physical, but death in some fashion will always be the result. Proverbs Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So Elimelech dies. Naomi loses her husband, and if you know that culture, if an older woman in that day and age loses her husband, she is, in a sense, unmarriable. So this is a difficult time for Naomi. The only good news is that she has two sons to care for her and to provide for her. Her two sons end up marrying Moabite women, pagan women, women who more than likely worship Chemosh, and and they don't value the God of the Bible. Then it says in verse 5, then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Ryan, I thought this was supposed to be a happier book than the book of Judges, right? Like This was supposed to be a contrast here. Three of the major characters are already dead and we haven't even hit verse six. This is a bleak start. This is a bleak start. Let me, let me say this. I heard it once said, good news of the gospel becomes great news in light of the bad news, okay? I just want you to know that, right? The good news becomes great news in light of the bad news. So right now we're in the bad news era, okay? But just imagine being Naomi right now. Not only has she buried her husband, but she's now buried both of her kids, and now she's left with two daughters-in-law. Again, a very bleak start to the story. And we see that Elimelech's decisions not only affect his life, but the life of his entire family. This man was supposed to be the spiritual leader of his family. He had the responsibility to hear from the Lord, to press into the Lord during hard and difficult times, times of uncertainty, and do we see him pray? No. Do we see him like, Lord, press into the Lord all the more, and like, hey, family, like, you know, Joshua, like, ask for me and my family, like, we're gonna serve the Lord. Do we see that come out of Elimelech's life? No, we see it cost him his life and his life of his family. We see him look at the trouble in Bethlehem, and then he looks to the world for saving. Warren Wiersbe said, when trouble comes to our lives, we can do one of three things. Endure it, escape it, or enlist it. If we only endure trials, then trials become our master. And we have a tendency to become hard and bitter. If we try to escape our trials, then we probably will miss the purposes God wants to achieve in our lives. But if we learn to enlist our trials, they will become our servants instead of our masters and work for us. And God will work all things together for our good and his glory. Oh, if Elimelech would have enlisted the trial. And in this next sec- section of our passage, we see another decision. And this time it's Naomi's turn. Elimelech's wife, she decides, I'm going to go back home. I'm going back to Bethlehem, back to the house of bread. Look at verse six. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was, And her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Stop there for a moment. Here we see Naomi come to her senses. Come to her senses. She's experiencing this season loss. After 10 years in Moab, she hears that there's food in in the house of bread again. That God visited his people, brought the famine to an end. And she comes to her senses and she says, that's where I belong. I belong there. I don't belong in Moab. I don't belong in this pagan land. I belong in Bethlehem with God, with the people of God. You know, it reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. You guys know the story in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story. And what we find, if you don't know the story, it's a father. He has two sons and the younger son, one day, probably a selfish little brat, says to his dad, like, hey, dad, I know you're still alive, but I want my inheritance now. Like give me my, my my share of the inheritance, and so the father he actually does that, and it was a great sign of disrespect. He just wanted his father dead, and so the father gives him his money and and the, and the, the young son he goes off and, the, and he lives it up right for for a season right he he parties hard, and he's the he's just like the just his best life now for that season of his life. And and what we what we find out is that the, the Bible tells us that he wasted, he squandered his money in reckless living. He squandered it. He wasted it, right? And so um, he finds himself going from you know the 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 penthouse now to the outhouse. I think Greg Laurie coined it. I always like that. Um, where he finds himself for the life of the party, and now he's taking any nasty job that he can find and he's feeding pigs and pigs were a very unclean animal. He's working for a pagan guy probably. And so he's feeding the pigs. He's eating the same food that the pigs are eating. And the Bible says that he came to his senses, right? It was at that point at the lowest part of his life that he came to his senses and he says, you know what, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. Like my father's servants have it better than me, right? And so he comes to his senses and he starts rehearsing this. I'm going to go back to my father's house and it's there. I'm just going to ask him. I'm going to plead, you know, for him to just make me one of his servants because God knows it's better than what I'm doing. And so he starts his journey home and and we find out from the story that uh, the, the father is waiting and the father sees him coming, you know, from this long way off, right? and he welcomes him home. Now here's what's interesting. Neither that young son or Naomi knew what to expect when they got home. They didn't. They didn't know. All they knew is that at home is where I belong. I don't belong out here in the world. I don't belong in Moab. I don't belong feeding pigs, right? The prodigal son knew that he belonged at home with his dad, but he had no idea what to expect. How would his dad receive him? How would he be treated? Would he even be received? Would he be rejected? Naomi too, for herself, she had no idea. What would the people say? Would they gossip? Would they, have they been rumored? Like, were there rumors? Like all of these things. All she knows is that she came to her senses. She belongs, she belongs home. Now, again, the son, if you know the story, he went home, he was received very well. It's a beautiful picture of the heart of God, right? He he was, his dad went out to meet him and threw a party for him. But this is Naomi's return to home. Let's read on. Look at verse eight. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each to her own mother's house. And may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse nine. And may the Lord grant that you may find rest. That rest is shelter, nourishment, provision, each in the house of her husband. That idea is that they would find a new husband. They would remarry one day. And then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices and they wept. And so here you have Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. No doubt they love each other. and And Naomi says to them, go home. I have nothing for you. I have nothing left. Go home, verse 10. And they said to her, no, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, return my daughters. Notice again, this bond here, this tightness here. They've bonded. Their hearts are are knit together, obviously through marriage, but now through death, right? They've all experienced the death of of their spouses. And she asked them in verse 11, why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? And what she's saying is, look, I am too old to bear sons for you, right? Because you see, according to the Leverite law in Deuteronomy 25, that if a man died, without having to produce a son, that his younger brother would kind of take that, pick up that mantle, kind of take on the family name, right? And they would bear children together. But Naomi's like, look, I'm too old. Verse 12, return my daughters, Naomi says. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. She says, if I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Naomi looks at her two daughters-in-law, and she says, Look, girls, even if I have a child today, well, that would be a miracle because I'm not even married, but even if I had a child today, just think about how many years you would be waiting to get married, to marry that, that, that boy. And if it's too long, like, you, you both need to just go home start over. Look at the second half of verse 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And so here we have yet another decision. And this time it's Orpah, Orpah's turn. She decides, she's going to decide to stay in Moab. She's going to bid her mother-in-law, Naomi, farewell. And Orpah will eventually fade from the pages of scripture, never to be heard of Again, she chooses to stay in the washbowl of Moab, the dumpster. Why? I don't know. I don't want to assume judgment on her. Moab to her, no doubt, is safe. Her friends are there. Her family's there. She, doesn't, she knows the culture of Moab, right? She grew up there, right? She, but she had no concept of what was waiting for her in the land of Israel. She had no concept of what God would have had in store for her if she had chosen to remain. Listen, so often we stay in the world, and maybe this morning you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here, like, "I'm, I'm just here with someone. I've never really committed my life to Christ. Like, I'm not a Christian. Listen, maybe you've said no to Jesus so much because you don't know the amazing things that God has in store for you. And maybe it's just comfortable. Your life is comfortable this morning. I don't know. But just know that God has amazing things in store for you if you just say yes to Jesus. Now, in Orpah's defense, Naomi encourages her to stay, right? It seems like the most practical thing here, right? Just, hey, stay, go back with your family. That's Naomi's viewpoint at the moment. Naomi is thinking practically, not spiritually. Listen, I'm all for thinking practically in life but it can never come at the expense of thinking spiritually, right? And the moment that we think spiritually is when we start factoring God into the equation. And Naomi's not factoring God into the equation here. She's merely thinking practically. She's like, here's the problem. Here's an easy solution. Girls stay here. And so with there's tears, no doubt love for one another, Orpah is walking back to Moab. And now what we're left with is Ruth and Naomi standing alone. They're at this crossroads. Orpah's gone, and it's just the two of them. And now we see another decision, and this time it's Ruth's decision. Look at verse 15. And then she said, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death departs you and me. Listen, church, those are some of the most amazingly beautiful words that we find in scripture. You see, Ruth is not just attaching herself to Naomi as her mother-in-law. Ruth isn't just attaching herself to Naomi as a friend, but in her words, she's attaching herself to Naomi's God. She says, your God will be my God. There it's Naomi's declaration of, or Ruth's declaration of faith. She's, she's saying, "Kemosh is gone. I'm going to embrace the God of Israel. Your God, Naomi, your God will be my God. But here's what I want you to think about all of this. All Ruth knows, all that she's ever known of Naomi's God is this, pain, suffering, and death. That's all that, that, all the stories that Ruth has probably been told. You know, that's the reason why they met in the first place was a result of God's punishment, of God's chasing of the nation of Israel. And I think if you know if you and I were to have coffee with Naomi, which I love to have coffee with you, if you want to like tell me your life story, but like if you want to like we go out to coffee, I just picture this, and we say Naomi, let's have coffee, we're sitting in a coffee shop together, and we say Naomi, what has God tell me your life story? What has following God gotten you? You know what she, her response would be? Probably a lot of pain, a lot of pain, a lot of loss, a lot of grief, a lot of death, a lot of confusion. In other words, it hasn't gotten me a lot. Like, it's been super hard. It's been super rough. But even, listen, even in this back-slidden place, there's something here that Ruth sees in Naomi. There's something that Ruth sees in Naomi's relationship with God that Ruth still wants. And I love this. This has always been my prayer when I'm going through hard, difficult times. And let me challenge you with this. It's always my prayers, Lord, help me to suffer well in this. As I suffer, help me to suffer well so that people see you. They don't see how strong Ryan is. They see how strong you are and that you're sustaining Ryan, right? That's what I want you to see. Anytime you see me going through a hard time, I want you to see Christ in me. Not, wow, Ryan is doing so well. Like, and, that's, and that's what I believe Ruth saw in Naomi. And so she attaches herself to Naomi and to Naomi's God. And Naomi hasn't completely abandoned her faith. There's still a, this flicker of faith, even though she's been living in Moab for over a decade. And here we see that Ruth is drawn to that. There's something there that she's drawn to. And she attaches herself, not to just to Naomi, but to Naomi's God. And Ruth, what we find is this remarkable woman. She's got this remarkable heart, this desire in her heart. that says, man, there is more for me with my broken mother-in-law. There's more for me in my broken mother-in-law's land and with my mother-in-law's God than there was for her in Moab. And let me just tell you the same thing is true for you. There is more for you with the Lord than there is in the the, the momentary pleasures of this world. And so she makes this decision, Ruth does. She says, I'm going with you. And this was not going to be a hard or an easy journey. This was going to be a hard journey. You're talking 60 miles, a four to five day road trip on foot. (laughs) If they were living in the upper region of Moab, it would have been like this 4,000 foot descent in order to get back to Israel. Kind of crazy. The two of them walking alone, it would have been a dangerous thing for them. There would have been robbers. There would have been wild animals. This was, again, a hard journey for Ruth. But she says, I'm going with you. Look at verse 18. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And and when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Naomi. Now I want you to note that the city was stirred. This word stirred literally means that the town hummed with excitement. I love that. The town was humming with the excitement about the news of the revi- or the, their arrival. 10 years have passed, but now they're excited. The women are like, is that Naomi? Like, look at her. Like, is that her? Like, listen, this should, be, this should be the response of all of our hearts and for those of us who are followers of Jesus when any backslider comes home, right? Anyone who's gone out to Moab, gone out to the world, done the things of this world, and they've come back, this should be, our hearts should be filled with excitement. Okay, not like, I told you so, like, right? I told you that you wouldn't find happiness out there, right? Yeah, come on back. Like, no, that shouldn't be our heart. Our heart should be like, welcome home. We should be, there should be a hum of excitement in our hearts as believers in Jesus. When people come back to the Lord, you know, when the prodigal son came home, the Bible tells us that his dad ran out to meet him. That was undignified in this day. And his dad threw his arms around him says, hey, go get my coat. And like, let's just throw a party. Listen, older men in that in that, that generation never would have run. But this guy runs and he runs out to meet his son. And this dad, all he could say to himself, all he could say to his friends, all he could say to his older boy was, listen, my son who was lost has been found. And the Bible tells us that when one sinner repents and turns their heart back back to Jesus, that all of heaven rejoices. I liken it, man, there's like a hum of rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents of their sin and turns to Jesus. I love that. And so I love this. When it says here that there was this excitement, they ask, is that Naomi? (laughs) It kind of looks like her, right? But 10 years have gone by. Let's be real. Moab has probably took a toll on her. She probably doesn't look the same. It's been rough on her. It's aged her. Verse 20. And she says to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. For the Almighty, she says, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. I think in today's words, she would say, My life is horrible. My life is horrible. And what Naomi is doing here, she's recognizing this is God's hand of chastening on her life. This is God's doing. I think of the Hebrews 12, 6, the author would write, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And Naomi is recognizing this is is the Lord's discipline in her life to get her to come back home. Verse 21 is the perspective, I think, of every person who's ever wandered away from Jesus and eventually came back. They come to their senses, they come to this conclusion, I went out full, but I've come back empty. I didn't realize what I had, right? And how many times do, do, do prodigals go out because they think they're empty when in reality they're actually full? You guys seen that? Man, I just, I just feel like something's missing in my life. I feel empty and the world seems to be offering me everything that, that will fill me up and satisfy me. And so, so we go out, but I can't tell you how many times I've heard this story and seen this story play out where people didn't realize, no, 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 I was actually, I went out full. And then I came back empty. I had it really good here. I was full in my father's house and I came back empty. And what they recognize is that the world has been really, 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 really hard on them. The world was unable to provide for them in what they thought and expected. And listen, that is the destination of every prodigal and every one of us who goes out to Moab. Yes, it has this desire. There's this enticement of satisfaction and and, and just purpose and all of these amazing things. But listen, you will come back empty because it cannot cash the checks that are written. And they go into the world. They think that the world's going to be great. And they realize it's a dump. Now, I will say this. The Bible does say that sin is pleasurable for a season. There's momentary pleasure in sin and in the world. But eventually, it will suck the life out of you. And eventually, it will bring forth death. And Naomi says, I went out full, but I came back empty. But here's the hope. And here's what we're going to see. The Bible tells us that God is able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. That's Joel chapter 2. And that is a promise, that is is his character, that is his heart, that God is going to fill Naomi up again. God is going to meet her again. And if that's your story this morning, if you relate to Naomi, you've gone out full and then you've come back empty. Maybe you're here this morning, you're empty. Listen, it doesn't matter how you've squandered your life, maybe in reckless living out in Moab, in the washbowl, in the dumpster of your life. I don't know your story fully, but I know this, that God has the ability to restore anything that this world would have taken from you. And he can do that work in your life as he did it. And He will do it in Naomi's life. Listen, I want you to know that this story that we find in here in the book of Ruth is not one of punishment. This is not a story of punishment. This is a story of grace and redemption. It's a story of a father who loves us, and because he loves us, he will never, ever, ever let us be content with temporary satisfaction in Moab. He'll never let us just be satisfied with temporary satisfactions in this world. He loves us too much for that. And so he'll allow Moab to make us miserable. And we might even experience some type of death to get our attention to bring us back home. The only thing that remains to to be seen is how long will it take and at what cost? At what cost? Again, Naomi says, got, I went out full, I've come back empty. I left pleasant, and I've come back bitter. I left lovely, I've come back bitter. The world has left this bitter taste in my mouth. Look at verse 22. So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley season. Now note that real quick. Do you remember... What took place right before barley harvest? Passover. Passover. And the Passover celebration, we're in closing right now, was a celebration that the people of Israel would celebrate every single year to remember God freeing his people from bondage, the bondage that they were in Egypt. And Egypt is always a picture of the world. And so we see that the children of Israel, they're in Egypt, they're in bondage to the world, 400 years. God raises up a man by the name of Moses who goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do it. So God raises up these 10 plagues. And a lot of us know this story. But the final plague was the angel of death was going to pass over the land of Egypt. And in every single home, the firstborn that night was going to die. However, the only way that the firstborn son would be spared if they took a spotless lamb and they, and, they, and they killed it and they took the blood and they spread it on the doorposts of the house. And you see this Passover picture that we find in the Old Testament actually points us to the New Testament. It points us to Jesus who would be that final Passover lamb, that he would be the final substitute where that lamb would, be, would die in the place of the older son so too Jesus would die in our place. And it's through his death on the cross that we celebrate. It's through his death on the cross. John the Baptist would say this, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's in the death, it's Jesus' death on the cross. It's his blood being, being shed. It's being, his blood being applied to our account that cleanses us from all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt. He's that substitute for you. Because the the reality is, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, right? You and I deserve death, but Jesus was our substitute. His blood gets applied to our account. And So I love the fact that in the midst of our story in Ruth, where there's so much heartache, there's so much pain and so many wrong decisions that resulted in death, that there's this picture that it happens right, right, right at the end of Passover, Naomi and Ruth come back at Passover because God, I believe, this morning is wanting to point us to his son, Jesus. And this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us, each and every one of us, to make a decision, to make a decision. Maybe we've wandered to Moab. Maybe we're still in Moab right now, but we're like in this church right now. We're like, ah. Maybe we've lost our way. And maybe you just see that in just the the desires of your flesh. Maybe it's been, maybe you're wandering for the last two weeks or maybe two months or two years or two decades. Moab has had this pull on you. And today it's your opportunity to say, listen, I don't belong here. I don't belong in the world. I don't belong in Moab. I belong with Jesus. And and this morning you, you might be at the crossroads of faith world, the Lord, the world, the Lord, the world, the Lord. And today might be your day for a decision. Actually, the Bible says today's the day. <laughs> today's the day. The day is to surrender today, to bow your knee today, to repent of your sin. You're like, what does that mean? It means to repent is to, to turn from Moab, <laughs> to turn from the ways of this world and to turn to Jesus, to turn to that substitute, to turn to the Lamb of God who will take away your sins if that's you this morning, if, you, if you've never committed your life to Jesus and you want to commit your life to Jesus and you want to turn from Moab and turn to him, I would just encourage you right now, let's just t- close our eyes and let's bow our heads down and no one's looking around right now. But if that's you, if you want to just give your life to Jesus, could you just raise your hand and say, I'm done with Moab. I'm done with Moab. I've n- I, don't know, I don't know this Jesus, but I, 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 I know I don't belong where I'm at. If that's you, just boldly raise up your hand. Yeah, God sees you. Amen. And maybe this morning, maybe you know you're a child of God. You're like Naomi. You're in the fold. But maybe you've had a temporary lapse. And you find yourself just looking at the pleasures of sin, looking at Looking at Moab for what only Jesus can give you. And if you're like, I just need, I want to today decide. Today's all about decisions, right? Today's all about decisions. And you're like, I just want to say, Jesus, I don't want to be in Moab. And maybe you're just in Moab in your mind. <laughs> or maybe you're Moab full in. I don't know. Listen, if that's you this morning, maybe raise your hand. Let me pray for you. And just like, I'm with you. Like I want, I want Jesus. I want what's genuine in my life. I want to, I want to, I don't want anything to hinder. Yeah, amen, amen. Just boldly, like it's okay. Like there's no shame here. There is only grace to be given, love to be experienced. Father, I pray in Jesus name, you know, every heart in this room. Lord, I pray that we today, there would be this crossroads. There would be this this time of decision where you're calling us to follow you. You're you're reminding us this morning that we don't belong in the world. We don't belong in Moab. Lord, I pray that we would come to that place where Moab, we would be done with Moab and we would run towards you, the Father. Lord, your heart is for love for us. You want to welcome us back. You're not here to, 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 to punish us necessarily. You want to receive us. You want to heal us. And so I just pray that we would find that healing today, that the ways of Moab would grow strangely dim as we look to you. Let's all stand together. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thanks for listening to this week's teaching. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times and location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccscportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together.